Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you ready? since we went on the air and talked officially about what's going on in MMA and boxing. Uh, exciting, man. There's a lot going on. I know Cleveland's rocking tonight, baby. Absolutely. Of course, we're alluding to the Game 7, arguably the greatest, biggest game in the history of the World Series. They're expecting 25 million viewers tonight. Cleveland's rocking. The cheapest seat in town is $4,000 for standing room only. Everyone's going to be there, and we're trying to get – we're coming to you at 6.30 live on Game 7 day so that we can get this show in, get you caught up on what you need to know for the weekend, and then so that you don't miss the first pitch of Game 7. Bragg, just like you said, a huge night. All right, but let's get to the particulars. You're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. If you want to call in, which no one really does, mostly a a on-demand type show, then (laughs) – the number is uh, 1657-383-1412. Believe it or not, one of our we, – we don't get a lot of calls, but do you remember when the guy called from Saudi Arabia from back when he was on the base? Yeah, that was, that was awesome. You know, it's funny because uh, when we go look back at our statistics, we've had listeners from all over the world, you know, from Saudi Arabia. We had a, actually had a pretty big fan base from a lot of the military that was stationed over there. I had a few friends that were in the military. Uh, I know word of mouth got, got involved, and we had a pretty big fan base there. Uh, but we've had listeners all over the world. So I, I always tell people uh, when I'm trying to impress them that in some circles, I am world famous. <laughs> Again, if you want to call in, 657 you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Brad, you want to hit them with those? Absolutely. It's easy to find us. It's easy to find us on your social media outlets. Just search the Ultimate Fight Show, or at Twitter, we are the Alt Fight Show. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where Mr. LC himself uh, loves to brag about his uh, winnings at FanDuel.com. Man, I'm jealous. I- I'm sorry. I can't catch a break lately. 
uh, with my tick. So I'm not even posting anything. But, uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, that, those are the primary spots to find all the information about the Ultimate Fight Show. Absolutely. It's funny that you said that. I just got a... Uh... I just got an email from FanDuel, and because I'm one of the top players apparently in Cleveland, they gave me four free Cavs tickets to two different games of my choosing on them. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, we're big proponents here of FanDuel, in case you haven't known. But like the Bragman said, again, this show, although we are known for being the best boxing MMA show on the Internet, we're also branching off into the daily fantasy for FanDuel. If you follow us with that, so you know, and, and we Elsie, I'm not sure if it's just me or not, but I, I keep losing you. Um, can you you, you got me? Uh, you're there now. Okay. Yeah. See, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we haven't been there in three weeks, but now we're back and we got a real big interview for you. It's, uh, Al Bernstein. We have him. He hasn't been on the show in about a year and, uh, we got a 25 minute interview. We're going to do part one tonight and then part two next week because we covered a lot of topics and next week, those topics are more relevant. So Bragg, let's, uh, Let's get into it right now, again, because of time constraints and because we want to get you guys listening to that great interview, we are going to go a little quicker than we normally would with the rankings, the new November rankings. But, again, you know where to find them, Facebook page uh, or any of the social medias, and we usually have that stuff up there for you. But, uh, Bragg, I'm going to start it off with the heavyweights again the heavyweight champion of the world from my hometown, and we'll, we're going to have him on the show, I promise, soon. Stipe Miocic, uh, number two, Fabricio Verdun, the man, the man he took the title from, and uh, number three, Cain Velasquez. Those two will do battle in uh, December, and the winner will get Stipe next year. We got Junior Dos Santos at four, Rothwell at five, Overeem at six, Barnett at, at seven, Vitaly Minikoff undefeated at eight, Arlowski at 9, and Travis Brown at 10. Bragg, you want to take him through the light heavy? Uh, sure, Will. Not a lot's changed there either. Of course, number one light heavyweight in the world is Mr. Daniel Cormier. Number two, Anthony Johnson. Number three, Alexander Gustafson. Number four is Ryan Bader, followed by Glover Teixeira at number five. Mr. Wonderful, Phil Davis. Got a big fight coming up. We'll talk about that a little later on. At number six, Liam McGeary at number seven, Quentin Rampage Jackson. <laughs> Still in the top ten, at least in our top ten. Uh, at number eight, Jimmy Manua, after our big win over Oven State Pru last month, sits at number nine. And at number ten is King Mo Lawal. Absolutely. The, the middle middleweights, the last fight we covered, Bisbing Henderson, one hell of a fight. We I almost pulled the upset there with the Hendo pick. Uh, Brock, I mean, uh, Luke Rockwell, the two. Chris Wademan at three. We'll see him in the Madison Square Garden um, coming up soon. We got Jacare Sosa at four. The man Weedman will be facing, Joel Romero, at four also. Gegard Musasi coming off of a big win. The spider keeps moving up ever so slowly back to the top 
At number seven is Anderson Silva. At eight, Vitor Belfort. Nine, Robert Whitaker. At ten, Derek Brunson. Not to be confused with Doyle Brunson, the Texas Dolly. Bragg, back to you with the welterweights. Absolutely. This 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 uh, division is going to be shuffled a bit in the next few weeks, but as it stands now, the UFC champion is Mr. Tyron Woodley. Uh, number two is Mr. Wonderboy, Stephen Thompson. They'll be fighting um, in is it two weeks, I guess, now. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Number three is Robbie Lawler. Number four is Damian Maya. Number five, Ben Askren. Number six is Roy McDonald, uh, fresh into Bellator. Number seven, the natural-born killer, Carlos Condit. Number eight, Andre Koreshevkov. Number nine is the Cowboy Donald Cerrone. And number 10, the man he'll be facing, Mr. Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, tell us about the lightweight, Selfie. All right, we got champion Eddie Alvarez looking to defend his title for the first time at Madison Square, UFC 205 against Conor McGregor. Uh, the number two fighter is Khabib Nurmagomedov at 23-0. and Rafael Dos Anjos at three, Nate Diaz at four, Tony Ferguson five, Michael Johnson at six, Benson Henderson seven, Edison Barbosa at eight, Will Brooks at nine, and Michael Chandler at number ten. Bragg, the featherweights. Of course, the number one featherweight in the world is Mr. Conor McGregor. He gets that shot against Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight title on November 12th. Number two is Jose Aldo. Number three, Frankie Edgar. Number four, Max Holloway. Number five, Anthony Pettis. Number six, Chad Mendez. Daniel Strauss at number seven, Cub Swanson. Hanging around at number eight, Patricio Ferrer, who gets a big fight coming up at number nine. And number ten is Mr. Miles Jury. Uh, at Bantamweight, the champion of the world, Dominic Cruz, he'll be defending his title very soon. We'll have that in a second. T.J. Dillashaw at two. John Lineker at three, Jimmy Rivera coming off a big win at four, Rafael Asanto at five, Villabano Fernandez at six, Johnny Dotson at seven, Brian Caraway at eight, Marlon Moruz at nine, and Cody Gambrit undefeated cracking the top ten for the first time. Bragg, taking through the flyweights. The flyweights, we've got, of course, number one, uh, fighter in the world at flyweight, Mr. Demetrius Johnson. Number two is Joseph Benavides. Number three is Henry Kejudo. Number four is Kyoji Hiraguchi. Number five is Ian McCall. Number six is Josier de Silva. All right, women's bantamweight. We got the champion, Amanda Nunes, set to defend her title against Rowdy Rod the Rousey uh, at UFC 207 in December. Chris Cyborg is sandwiched in between the middle of them. Misha Tate at four, Cupcake, friend of the show. She was on ESPN earlier today, and we're going to look to be having her back on the show. Katzen Gano at eight. Yeah, I, I, I lost you again, man. I don't know if we got a connection issue on your yeah, side or know, what. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but uh, you want to take us through the, the straw weights? Uh, yeah, I sure can. Joanna Jedrecevic. God, I hate pronouncing her name, but uh, she's beautiful. Well, let's call she's her by her one. first name. Yeah. 
Double J, we'll call her. Uh, she's the woman's strawweight champion. Uh, she'll be defending her title against number two, Carolina Kowalki. Number three is Claudia Gadella. Number four is Jessica Andrade. Number five, Carlos Esparza. Number six, Jessica Aguilar. Number seven is Tisha Torres. Number eight, the beautiful Paige Van Zant. Number nine is Joanna Calderwood. And number 10 is Valerie Letourneau. Uh LC, I will start the panel for panel list if you don't mind. I'll give you the notables. No. Uh, we've got Go ahead. Nate Diaz, Frankie Edgar, Robbie Lawler, Joseph Benavidez, and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. All those are right outside the top 10. At number 10 is the new middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Michael Bisping. At number 9 is the welterweight champion, Tyrone Woodley. Number 8, TJ Dillashaw. Dillashaw. Number 7 is the heavyweight champion, Stephen Milesick. Number 6 is Jose Aldo. Elsie, the at top number 5, five we have, please. At number 5, we have Eddie Alvarez, the lightweight champion of the world. Light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier is above him at 4. At number 3 is Conor McGregor, the featherweight champion, and maybe soon-to-be lightweight champion. We'll see how that pans out. On November 12th, uh, Dominic Cruz is at number two and number one, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Again, for the complete list, if you want to see it, go to the Facebook page or the Instagram or our Twitter, and you can catch up on all that. But for right now, we are going to get into a little bit of the sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. boxing segment here at the ultimate fight show we alluded to it at the top of the hour that uh we have an exclusive two-part interview with hall of fame boxing analyst al bernstein and we are going to play that very shortly but first we're going to update you real quick on the boxing pound for pound list just to you know get that out of the way there's really no change brag as we have the notables, uh, I will go through them very quickly. We have Shinsuke Yamanaka, Mikey Garcia, Randy Lari, Danny Garcia, Adonis Stevenson, Carl Frampton, Tim Bradley, and Kel Brook making up our list of notables. And then now we have the top ten here. Keith, one-time Thurman at number ten. Number nine is Vasily Lomachenko. Number eight, Guillermo Rigondeaux. Number seven, Canelo Alvarez. And number six, Terrence Crawford. Brad, you want to take us through the top five? It'd be my pleasure. Number five is the man we'll be talking about in depth a little later on, Mr. Manny Pacquiao. Number four, one of my favorite fighters of this era, Mr. Jenny Golovkin. Number two, a tie at number two, rather, uh, between the two guys who will be fighting in a couple of weeks, Mr. Sergey Kovalov and Mr. Andre Ward. We have both said those guys will be ascending the winner of that fight will be ascending to the top of the pound for pound list, asserting the number, current number one, Mr. Roman Gonzalez. All right. And so without further ado, we are going to play part one of our two-part interview with Hall of Famer Al Bernstein. You're hearing it here exclusively for the first time on the Ultimate Fight Show. You're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. It is my esteemed privilege to have once again with us 
Al Bernstein, Hall of Famer and Showbox analyst. How you doing, Al? I'm doing good. How about you? Been a long time. I'm doing fantastic. Both of our uh, teams are in the World Series tonight in my hometown of Cleveland. Going to battle it out. What are you... Exciting times. It is exciting times. You know, it's funny. I have a lot of uh, different people I know and people that have tweeted me and contacted me about, you know, from Cleveland. And, and it, it, this is one of those World Series that um, – even though, of course, the fan bases of each team are very passionate for for each other, um, no matter who wins this series, it's going to get a big monkey off their back for uh, um, you know from the past. And I think people people find that kind of charming. Absolutely, it's been a fantastic roller coaster for the city of Cleveland this year with the championship Cavs and now possibly the championship Indians. It'd be wonderful. Well, yeah, and and uh, um, and it was pretty crazy that the Cavs were getting their uh, their rings and having the banners flown the, the night of the game in uh, in Cleveland. But you will you will forgive me if I I hope that that gets delayed by a year or so. <laughs> we would understand it. I I just think it's uh, I think it's our year. An interesting fact: if you bet on Cleveland and the Indians. The Cavs and the Indians to both win their championships in Vegas. It was sixty to one at the beginning of the oh year. Wow! So somebody might have made some money. I don't know. <laughs> they may well have. Well, the Indians were expected to be. I mean, the Cavs, of course, were in the hunt for sure, and the Indians were expected to be a very good team. Um, <clears throat> and so, even though the way they got there was a little different with their pitchers being hurt and them having to figure out ways around that, but uh, there's two more games left starting tonight. And uh, it'll be into, it's going to be an interesting close to the series because, um, you know, tonight the Cubs have Arietta. They've got Schwarber coming back, which is interesting. Um, and uh, Tomlin pitched a very good game the first time against the Cubs. So if he does that again, uh, that's going to be an issue. But, uh, but you know, it, this one's an interesting game. And then Kluber is, is lay, lurking for the final game. But the one thing with the Kluber game, uh, Hendricks will have his full complement of rest. Um, although Kluber has certainly shown that on three days rest he can get the job done. He's he's kind of the uh, Madison Bumgarner of this World Series. Absolutely. Uh, for me personally, I think tonight for the Indians, I think you walk Schwaber every single time. I don't even think you give him a chance to hit. Well, he's hitting second, though. So if you do that, then you got Bryant and Rizzo coming up. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. So, I don't, don't know, know if it happens. That may be, and I think that's the reason why he batted him second. Yeah, you might so, very well be right. Yeah, I mean, if he, if he batted him fifth or sixth, if he batted him fifth, let's say, or even fourth, they might be able to do that, although Zobras could hit behind him. But <clears throat> I don't know. It would be interesting to see. You know, listen, this series has, the fact that it has two more, uh, one more game or two more games left in it, um, I think has created some interesting possibilities because we don't know, you know, it, it's hard to tell who who at any point is going to take over in this series, you know, which what player is going to be or what aspect of, uh, you know, these two teams because it's been varied. It hasn't been a totally consistent ride even in this series, you know. Absolutely. We'll come back to that later. I, I want to get your prediction on that game before we get out of here. 
But first, we got to talk a little sweet science. My first question to you, Al, we got Pacquiao and Vargas fighting this weekend, and no one seems to care. Can you tell me why that is and what both fighters hope to gain with the victory? Well, yeah, it probably was never going to be the kind of fight that was going to generate, uh, you know, it's obviously not going to generate the Pacquiao-Mayweather interest, and it it probably wasn't going to generate – the interest of some of Manny Pacquiao's other great pay-per-view events, but I think they, uh, the idea was to get him back into the fray, um, and and I think they did in Jesse Vargas. They don't obviously they don't have a wildly huge marquee name. They have a good fighter who I don't know if it, if uh, probably not enough people are convinced that he's going to win this fight, even though he's an excellent fighter. Um, and that may be part of the issue. Remember, originally they were trying to get Broner. Um, and and had they gotten Broner, this fight probably would feel differently, wouldn't it, a little bit? It, it still wouldn't be, it still wouldn't be um, a mega, mega, mega super fight, but it certainly would have been one that they would have had uh, other marketing possibilities for, though God knows, given the, the recent past with Adrian Broner, who knows. But... Um, but <laughs> The, the fact is that, you know, and Top Rank decided to go it alone, not be connected with HBO in this instance uh, because of the time frame of what was happening. Um, I, I think, it, you know, this fight is going to probably fall somewhere in between people don't care and it's just not as big as uh, other fights. I think there will be interest. Um, Manny Pacquiao is still a, a figure that commands interest in the boxing world, um, but how big that is, that's, that's the question. Well, Je- Jesse Vargas is an 8-1 to one underdog, and my question to you is, and maybe the fans want to hear this as well, what percentage do you give of Jesse Vargas pulling the upset over Manny Pacquiao on Saturday night? Well, you know, to me, see, to me, 8-1, to one, you said 8-1, to one, right? 8-1. to one. Yeah, that that feels that feels like long odds to me. I I I wouldn't, uh, you know, some of that has to do with the. I, I and again, I don't always understand the the odds makers um, in terms of. I don't understand I, when I say I don't understand. I don't have the knowledge of the how all the gaming always works. But but I think some of that has to do with what they anticipate in terms of bets and everything. But but I, I think eight to one is is pretty high. I'm not saying Jesse Vargas is. Uh, He's going to walk in there and uh, control Manny Pacquiao, and it's, it's you know, and he's and, he's, and he's, he's a lock to do it or anything. But I think that we have an older fighter in Manny Pacquiao who has performed well in his last fighter light fight, and so he it's not as if he um, he's lost it or he's not capable of producing a good fight, but he is in his late thirties, and so. Given that, there's an element of a question, let's say. Uh, and I think that alone makes the odds less because you have a young fighter in Jesse Vargas who's a very solid B-plus fighter. That's exactly who he is. You know, he, 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 he lost but almost had Tim Bradley out at the end. He just won yeah, it the last fight in very impressive fashion against a very good fighter. Um, and so that's who Jesse Vargas is. He is not coming in there to lay down. Uh, and so, I don't know, I can't quantitative in numbers, but I think Jesse Vargas, it, it, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world 
if Jesse Vargas found a way to pull this off. It, it's, he's a big underdog and deserves to be an underdog, um, but I don't think it's an impossible task for him. All right. Our next question. Will we see Floyd Mayweather back in the boxing ring in 2017? Rumors have been circulating that he showed up at the wild card gym twice, Freddie Roach said, once to talk about, you know, his fighters. And the other time Roach said was to see if Manny was there because Freddie thinks that they want to do it again. What are your thoughts on that? And will we see Floyd go for number 50 in history? I'm going to say it's a 50-50 chance. Um, he's probably getting an itchy trigger finger, um, and and one would have expected this. But the longer it goes that he doesn't fight, you would think that would mean he wouldn't. And yet Floyd Mayweather has a history in his career, though not at this age, mm-hmm. coming back after long layoffs. Now he would be tempting fate in some ways, but you know he, and you might say to yourself. If if you're going to come back and fight that 50th fight, the natural person to fight would be someone you've already beaten. So it's not like you're taking on this new challenge. Uh, and I know the idea that Pacquiao had an injury and all the rest of it, but from Mayweather's standpoint, he already knows he won that. You know, he already knows that he handled things. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if they were pitching that idea. Now I was thinking about viable opponents that he, you know, and we have. Uh, we have Danny Garcia and Keith Thurman going to fight in January, and that's a great fight where I think the winner could emerge as the front runner for Floyd because I just don't think the public wants to see him and Manny do it again. Well, I think they would. They could build it to the point where they could get, I don't know, they could probably get a million, million five in terms of buys, but they're not going to get anywhere close to where they were, and both those men have to make a lot of money to do it. Um now the Pacquiao, the uh, Thurman Garcia, they're fighting March fourth, and uh, so whoever won that fight wouldn't be ready to go till June. September. But then that might that might be when they would want to do it. I mean, of course, for the people that know boxing, that would be a much more interesting and better fight. And if there would be a way in this age of the mainstream media not covering the sport, unfortunately, especially in America if there were a way to translate how good the winner of that fight is and how meaningful this fight is and how tough a challenge it is for, for Mayweather, then it would be great. From an economic standpoint, uh, the problem is Manny, or Floyd Mayweather, if he wants to make back the money that it's going to cost people to have him do it or make it uh, value, potentially valuable enough, there's only a couple people he can fight. Manny Pacquiao's one. Gennady Golovkin might be another, and he's probably not going to do that. Um, you know, Floyd Mayweather, as evidenced by his last fight against Andre Berto, he needs a dance partner that makes sense in order to get a decent pay-per-view number. Yeah, now, I thought you said one of the most interesting things so far, and that was that you would think he would pick an opponent he already beat. Now, Canelo Alvarez is the lineal middleweight champion of the world. Floyd beat him pretty easily in 2013. Could we see Floyd and Canelo before we see Canelo and Triple G? Because that would give Floyd a chance to win his fifth lineal title, something that no one's ever done. Well, that's not out of the question. Um, Now, 
Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions don't have the warmest relationship with uh, Al Heyman and with, uh, with the people that uh, Floyd Mayweather is associated with. So whether that would get in the way of it remains to be seen. Usually money kind of erases those things. Um, and also, you know, do they feel that's the right thing for Canelo to do at this juncture? Uh, but you're right. That would be a, that would be a, also an option. Okay. Now the last. Uh, well, we kind of alluded to it already. Do Do you think Triple G and Canelo will finally happen in 2017? I know they circled September as a possible date that the two of them could meet. What do you think the likelihood is, or are we gonna? Is this gonna be another Pacquiao Mayweather? We gotta wait for five years. Well, everybody in the middleweight division is doing the some version of uh, Dean Smith's four-corner offense in basketball. You know, they're trying to play the <laughs> run the play clock, the, the uh, shot clock down as long as possible before they have to fight Golovkin, hoping that he will um, there will be signs of erosion because of age. And some regard the last fight with Cal Brook as signs of that because Brook was able to land punches, even though Brook got knocked out, you know, in the fifth round or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to land some punches against Golovkin. And Golovkin didn't look as sharp as he has in recent fights. So there is talk that in the first quarter of the year, Danny Jacobs will fight Golovkin. You know, mm-hmm. they, that probably could have already happened this year, but... Uh, it didn't. Um, I think probably more doing owing to Jacobs's camp. And uh, my guess would be later in the year, um, I actually, and depending on how Golovkin looks in his previous fight or fights, it's possible that the Canelo um, Golden Boy group will finally relent and, and let that fight happen. Um. All right, that was my that was part one of my interview with Al Bernstein, Hall of Famer. For part two, tune in next week, and we will have the rest of that 12. There's about another 12 minutes left of my interview with Al, who's you know always been a really big supporter of the show, so it was great to have him on, Chris. Bragg, now, uh, you know, we got the big fight that we're going to preview in a, in, in a couple minutes between Pacquiao and Vargas. Was there anything in the interview with Al Bernstein that you took away or that you found interesting? Yeah, you know, I think, and I don't want to you know, speak for Al, but I, it really sounds like to me that he, and I'm again, I'm not getting ahead, but it really sounds like to me that he kind of feels like Vargas may have a shot in this fight coming up against Pacquiao. Of course, we'll talk about it a little more in depth. But you know, he alluded to the fact that how long the odds were. I think they were at eight to one, eight to I one. believe, when you spoke to him yesterday. So, um, and I'm not sure if they've changed it there or not. But yeah, um, and just just talking about Mayweather, of course, a lot of the time you spent talking about Mayweather and talking about how Mayweather's reluctance at time, you know, seems to be reluctant to fight somebody of a superior of a quality caliber. Um, I like how he called Jesse Vargas a B-plus uh, player, um, you know, on the flip side, whereas, you know, Pacquiao doesn't want to do anything that's going to be too risky, same thing with Mayweather. He doesn't want to do anything that's going to risk that, you know, perfect record. Uh, just 
anytime we've talked to Al, he has always been very open, very honest. I mean, pulls no punches. He tells you exactly how it is. Um, and and I, and I love that about the guy. And that's, you know, as always, and again, when people listen to the second half of the uh, interview next week, when you guys go into talking about the heavyweights and, and uh, Tyson Fury, that you're going to hear some interesting tidbits uh, from his history of that. But the one other thing I took away from that interview that has nothing to do with boxing is just how well-rounded he is boxing. Al Bernstein is boxing. And you and him had a baseball discussion uh, for about five to eight minutes that just, you know, could have been on baseball tonight, on ESPN, on, uh, you know, MLB Network, just a, just a great conversation. He knew his stuff. You know, of course, he was, this was recorded yesterday, so it was a preview. You know, you guys were talking about game six. Um, I know he's excited about game seven tonight. Um, just got to love the guy. Absolutely. He's, he's always just been a really big supporter of the show. And, you know, whenever we need an interview from Al, he's always there. So, again, kudos to Al. And we hope to have him on, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to have part two of the interview, but I'm saying in the future uh, I'd like to have him on with a little more frequency and him and I discuss that. So hopefully that will be. And, you know, he also put us uh, in contact with some other fighters, uh, in the future, so I don't want to give anything away, but uh, you know, maybe another co-host of his may very soon be on the Ultimate Fight Show. All right, Brad. Again, I, I see Michael Simons on Fox News right now. He's a friend of uh, mine and my brother's. Uh, real good guy promoting the Indians. He's there. I see the Charlie Sheen just flew in. He, the wild thing is going to be there. He's not going to throw out the first pitch, but he'll be in attendance. Brad is starting to shape up. Just real quick, I don't want your pick yet, but because Al and I talked about the World Series a little bit, now, you know, we have the hindsight of that having happened. So Al was uh, was right. He thought that the Cubs would take game six, even though he said his head was telling them Cleveland, which now sets us up for the game seven. I said from the beginning of the series that it would be Cleveland in seven. I believe you said Cubs in five. Yeah, I, I I did. I thought the Cubs were going to win it. I still think the Cubs will win it tonight, but I re, I underestimated Cleveland's pitching. I mean, just just flat out, I underestimated their pitching. Uh, they have really showed up, done a great job. Yeah, we got the starting line at least in the first really four games. Sant- <laughs> yeah, it's Santana, Kipnis, Lindor, Napoli, Ramirez, Chisenhall, Davis in there instead of Naquan after the fiasco last night with the. Fielding, and then Coco, Chris, and uh, Perez. The Cubs lineup is Fowler, Schwaber, uh, Bryant, Rizzo, Zobarist, Russell, Contreras, Hayward, and Baez. So another, it's going to, again, the best two words in sports is game seven. So it's going to happen, and, uh, you know, this is fantastic. But, again, let's talk about the sweet science now. we got a couple fights, um, as Al alluded to and we alluded to at the top of the show, Manny Pacquiao. Long-awaited return to the ring. He has not fought since April of this year and then won a Senate seat in uh, the Serengeti province in the Philippines. He's very close with the president and may one day become the president. I believe I said that in the first year of our show was one of our predictions. But uh, let's get with the undercard here. All title fights, three fights on this top-ranked pay-per-view that Bob Arum is putting on 
outside of Showtime or HBO. So we got Zoe Shimming. This has been a prized pupil of uh, Aaron Arams, who we got from Japan, uh, from China, taking on Presidia Popom for a 108-pound WBO title. I think you and I are in agreement, but I'll give you the opportunity to say it. I like Shimming to win this fight by unanimous decision Saturday night. Brad, who do you got? Yeah, I do, I do too. I don't think there's uh, any question. He's being showcased here. Uh, he'll look impressive and win a UD. Absolutely. All right. The next fight on the pay-per-view is another great fighter from the Philippines, Delino for the 120. His, you know, he was a pound-for-pound guy until he lost to Guillermo Rigondeau, but he did drop Rigondeau, if you remember, in the 12th round. We still have not got to see that rematch. I know that this is a fight where Donair feels that it's going to be a, step, a, a showcase fight. He wins this fight big. I think it gets him the rematch with Rigondeau. I don't see anything that uh, Magdalano is going to do to derail that. I like Nonito to win by knockout in the seventh round. Brad, who do you got? Uh, pretty much everything you said was right on. I, I agree. I think Donair knows he needs this fight. I think this is He's going to make one last big push. Uh, I think he wins the fight in a late KO also. I was going to say the ninth round. All right. And the the other fight on the card, the third fight, Oscar Valdez against Hiroshima Oswa, the 126-pound WBO title on the line. You're You're seeing a theme develop. All these fights are WBO title fights. So this is a big, big night for the organization. Greg, this is an interesting fight here. Not a lot on Valdez and Osawa as far as the average fight fan is concerned. I'm going to go with Valdez. Um, I think it's going to be a close fight. I'm going to say Valdez by split decision. Yeah, both of these guys are not really mainstream guys. Uh, Osawa has a very great, a very good record in uh, Japan, but this competition has been very weak. Uh, Valdez, uh, he was a he was an Olympian from Mexico. He's a uh, very good amateur background. He's a young up and comer. Uh, his competition has been a little better than Asawa, but mm, still not great. But I think Valdez does get it done. This will be more of a showcase for him too. I think he gets it done um, with a TKO in the sixth. All right, and that brings us now to the main event of the evening, which is, excuse me, Manny Pacquiao against Jesse Vargas for the 147-pound WBO title. Now, Bragg, it's a very interesting fight. You know, Al and I broke it down, and again, you know, the 8-1 to odds, Al wouldn't commit. It did seem like he was saying that Vargas was live and that he's a solid B-plus fighter. I'm going to go a little more in depth here. I'm going to uh, give you my take on it. But first, I'd like to hear your take, Bragg, and tell and, and who you got in this fight. You know, I, you know, I've been saying for years now, I thought Manny Pacquiao was on the downside. Every time I begin to doubt him, uh, he does something that impresses me or he does something that just, uh, you know, makes me think, hey, he's still got a little left in the tank. Uh, Jesse Vargas, I think he's a dangerous fighter. I think this could be one of those fights where, if on, on with given the right circumstances, 
with the right sequence, uh, Jesse Vargas put some combinations together, get inside on him. I think we could see him. There's no passing of the torch. I think we could see him snatch that torch from uh, Pacquiao, but I don't think that's going to happen. Pacquiao is such a smart fighter. Uh, he's a guy that's going to. He's not going to go in there. He's not going to put himself in a lot of danger if, if he can avoid it. I think he gets a decision victory um, with this fight. I, honestly, I don't think it's going to be a very exciting fight. Uh, I think it could be if Pacquiao were to uh, try to go toe-to-toe a little bit or let loose, but I think he fights the safe fight and gets a uh, unanimous decision. All right, I want to just uh, point out a couple of things first. Let, let, let's first talk about the challenger. Let's talk about Jesse Vargas, okay? This is the guy who's five foot ten, seventy one inch reach, very big for the welterweight division, fighting a man in Manny Pacquiao who is five foot five and a half with a sixty seven inch reach. So you're talking about a good four or five inches in height and reach that Vargas is going to enjoy Saturday night. Also the age. Vargas is about twelve years younger than Pacquiao, which is also going to play into it. His record twenty seven and one with 10 knockouts. The, the number there that's interesting to me isn't so much the 27 as it is the 1 and the 10. And I'll tell you why, Brad. The 1 is against Tim Bradley in arguably, if you remember, a fight where he had Tim Bradley on real shaky legs. He had the Jimmy legs. He got hit so hard and got dropped, and somehow he was able to get up, survive, and win the decision because of his early work. Make no mistake about it, if that fight with Bradley goes another round, Jesse Vargas knocks Tim Bradley out, okay? Flash forward. The 10. Why is the 10 important? The 10 is important because that tells me that Bob Arum, Freddie Roach, and Manny Pacquiao aren't necessarily going to be worried about Jesse Vargas' power. They see the 28 fights. They see the 10 knockouts and they don't put two and two together. I think they're going to be aware that he's got a little bit of pop in that right hand from what he did to Tim Bradley. But I think that they're thinking that this might be a fight where, like you said, Pacquiao can box, be smart, get in and out, use his speed, win a decision. Okay? But I want to, uh, I want to point out something. In Vargas' last fight to win the title, he beat an undefeated Sadim Ali, who was 22-0, and who everyone was saying was possibly going to be the future of the welterweight division in a couple of years. And he beat him by knockout. And then now he's in this fight with, with Manny Pacquiao. Now, Bragg, on the other end, you've got Pacquiao, 58-6-2. We know his resume, five-time world champion or four-time four lineal champion, seven-time divisional champion. Pound for pound, first ballot Hall of Famer, arguably the second best fighter of his generation. Can we agree on all those statements? Absolutely. All right. Now, with that being said, let's let's look at that resume. All right. His last six fights. This, this is the, this is Manny Pacquiao's resume. Juan Manuel Marquez for the fourth time. He was knocked out in the sixth. Then he comes back and beats up a washed up Brandon Rios, who ended up retiring one fight later. Then he beats Tim Bradley. Closer fight than it was the first time when he was robbed and they gave Bradley the split decision. You and I had it as our um, uh, biggest miss. It, 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 was the, 
it was the worst decision of the year by the Ultimate Fight Show and by several other publications. So, you know, he beats Bradley, then he beats Chris Algieri, and then he loses to Floyd, the best fighter of his generation, one-sided, and then he comes back and beats Tim Bradley in, again, another fight. To me, Tim Bradley's a great fighter, but Manny Pacquiao just has his number, the same way that Juan Manuel Marquez and Manny Pacquiao will always make a great drama fight. I had to go back. Greg, do you know the last time that Manny Pacquiao knocked somebody out? Uh, it would have probably been the... Uh... Oh. Yeah. Um, on a blank <laughs> November... <right now. laughs> November, listen to this, November 2009 against uh, severely dehydrated Miguel Cotto when they fought at 147 pounds, and he stopped him in the 12th round. His last real knockout against a legit fighter who wasn't trained was when he had the knockout of the year against Ricky Haddon for the 140-pound lineal title in May of 2009. So Manny Pacquiao hasn't knocked anybody out in eight years, Okay. Number one. Number two, he's fighting a guy who's 12 years younger, who's hungry, who wants his spot, who's four inches taller, four inches in reach, and is an eight-to-one underdog. Something, something smells, Brad, in the water. Um, I'm going upset. I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying it. I'm putting my 23-2 and two this year boxing record on the line, but I am saying it. You heard it here first. Jesse Vargas beats Manny Pacquiao Saturday night by split decision, and it's the last time we see Manny Pacquiao in the ring. That's my prediction for you can't, you can't, I mean, it was, it was, it was bad enough when Pacquiao was making it look easy because of his abilities when he was a congressman, but now he's a senator. He retired. He's coming back. My, my guess, as Al and I alluded to, is that he's going to try to sell Mayweather on a second fight. And I, I'm I'm here to say hard pass. Sorry, we don't need to see that again. Bray, I talked for just about five minutes straight there, so I'd love to hear your words on what I said and possibly if you can add anything or correct anything or if you disagree. Let's hear it. No, it, it's really hard to argue everything you said. Um, and you really got me um, on the on the edge here of changing my pick, but – God, that's what um, I was you know, hoping, for. hoping you were going to change. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know. You know, it it was it's one of those fights that I looked at, and like we said, you know, if we're going if we're going with the odds, uh, Jesse Vargas he he's live and he could very well win this fight. I'm not going to deny that whatsoever. But every time I've doubted Pacquiao, like I said, he's come back with a big win. Maybe not be maybe not impressive. I just think he is gonna figure out a way to, you know, like outbox uh, Jesse Vargas. But uh, yeah, he he's got a lot going on. You know, moving up to center. We talked about him possibly becoming president of the Philippines. It's he's got so much going on right now. Um, this may be win or lose. This might be the last fight we see of Manny Pacquiao. And he, I don't like. I I don't have no interest in seeing another. Mayweather fight with Manny Pacquiao. Uh, Mayweather beating Henley the first time. Uh, No reason to see it again. It wouldn't go any different again. It may even go worse for Pacquiao the second time if they were to fight. Um, That being said, by Saturday night, my heart may change, but 
I'll stick with my initial gut reaction, and I'm going to say Manny Pacquiao does get a uh, decision victory on Saturday night. All right, and we're we're, we're through. We still got we got about fifty minutes, fifty one minutes till the first pitch. Just for those of you that you know are worried, you're not going to get all all your MMA fix. Uh, we're going to get it to you. All right, so let's move into let's move into MMA. We're finally back for the first time in really three weeks with a compelling MMA card. Let's start in Bellator. Um, it's Bellator 163. Couple good fights, couple ranked guys in here. Uh, let's. We got six fights on here that we're going to call. I'm just going to, again, for the time purposes, we're not going to really break this down. If you want to know the fighters or the records or whatnot, then, you know, you can look that up on your own. What, what, what we're here to give you is to decipher through all the numbers and all that stuff and give you a clear-cut pick. Year-to-date in MMA, Bragg is 16-13, and 13, and I am 19-10. and 10. In boxing, though, the Braggman and myself killing it at 21-4 and 4 and 23-2 and 2 in boxing. So, Bragg, let's start with Rudy Bears, one of the weirdest names ever. Rudy Bears taking on Neiman Gracie, one of the, the Gracie clan, undefeated, Bragg, I like Gracie to win by submission in the first round. Who do you got? Yeah, I agree. I think Gracie, um, they, they've, they've finally gone to where they're fighting Bears. That's <laughs> my first reaction <laughs> to that fight. But, yeah, yeah. Gracie's going to choke a bear out in the first round. Not to mention that, again, you know, Cubs losing tonight, Bears. It's just, it's just not uh, – you know, my, my Chicago Bears were able to win Monday night, but that's really the only Bears family I want, lineage, whatever I want to see winning. So, yeah, we're both going the, with uh, Gracie. All right, we got Marlos Conan. If you remember her, she was the uh, former Strike Force women's champion, lost her title. Um, she's 23-7. and seven. She's taking on undefeated Talita Nagara, 6-0, and oh, who is related to the Nagaras, I believe it's their niece, and she's five foot ten, and Conan is five nine. These are two big ladies. Possible, maybe a future fight for Cyborg as they both weigh one forty five. Brad, who are you going with, Conan or Nagara? You know, this could be a sleeper pick for a fight of the night. This should be a real good uh, jujitsu battle. Both of these guys, of course, uh, any Nogara is going to be uh, good on the ground and grappling. Of course, Marlos Conan. Um, is a grappler. It, it's going to be a real good fight. Uh, my initial reaction was to say Conan gets a victory here, but um, I'm going to go the other way here. I think Nogueira pulls the upset. I think she gets a submission late in the second round. Yeah, I'm going with Nog, but I'm going to say by UD, kind of for the reasons that you were, you pointed out, that they're both ground specialists. I think that each other's game is only going to come into play on the ground if one of them gets knocked down there. I think this is going to be a mostly stand-up fight, and I'm going to give the, the nod to Nagara late. I think she will get Conan to the ground maybe once or twice and uh, win a unanimous decision. All right, heavyweights. Sergey Karatanov, the former champion of Bellator, taking on Javi Alea. I got to go with Karatanov by knockout in the first round. Brag, who do you got? 
Yeah, I, I don't see this uh, being any different. I think Karatanov wins this fight. I was going to say in the second round by TKO. All right. All right. Paul Daly, former UFC fighter from England, taking on Derek Anderson, an up-and-comer with a 14-2 and record. This fight is at welterweight. Bragg, who do you like? Uh, I don't know if you consider it an upset or not. I know Paul Daly is the biggest, bigger name here, but I think Derek Anderson gets this done. I think he gets a TKO victory over Paul Daly probably in the mid to late first round. I, I think Daly is, is uh, done as a competitive fighter. Wow, big statement. I'm, I tend to agree with you, but being from Cleveland, I will never pick a man named Derek Anderson. The Browns wasted a number one pick on him. <laughs> that was enough. That's enough for anyone from Cleveland to never pick someone named Derek Anderson again. So I'm going with Paul Daly with just because this is my just because pick. So Paul Daly, just because he's fighting DA by UD. Say that three times fast. All right. All right. Uh, welterweight Saeed Awad taking on Brennan Ward in the co-main event. Greg, who you got here? Yeah, fight that uh, it's – it could be interesting. Uh, I like Brennan Ward to get a uh, unanimous decision victory. It's going to be a uh, a nice little uh, fight, a lot of, probably a lot of time spent up against the cage. I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of uh, big haymakers thrown here. I think we end up with a UD victory for uh, Brandon Ward. I'm going to go the other way and say uh, Awad by uh, TKO second round, but I can very easily see Ward winning this fight the longer it goes. I think if Awad's going to win, he's got to get him out of there. Uh, Which brings us now to the Bellator main event for the light heavyweight championship, Mr. Wonderful Phil Davis, 16-3, 6'2", Ranked number, I believe he's ranked number six by the Ultimate Fight Show, and Liam McGreary, eleven and zero, six foot six, who is also ranked number, ranked in the top ten by the Ultimate Fight Show. Bray, this is a serious fight. It's a fight that's worthy of being in the UFC, and we get to see it for free. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Phil Davis is a guy that he's really uh, he's. Peaking, he's got a lot better. Um, of course, he became a free agent and signed with Bellator. Uh, he's faced a lot of tough opponents. Uh, Neil McGreary is a tough opponent. He's the Bellator light heavyweight champion, but uh, he's not up to that caliber, and he's never faced a guy uh, like uh, Mr. Wonderful Phil Davis either. Um, I think Phil Davis comes in, uh, fulfills his uh, destiny of becoming a champion here. I like Phil Davis to win this fight. Uh, by unanimous decision over Liam McGeary. Yeah, this is a real, I don't want to say it's a 50-50 fight, but it's pretty close to that. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say that uh, this is one of the rare cases where I think McGreary's actually a legit fighter, and his six foot six tall frame is going to pose a lot of challenges, I think, for Phil Davis, much the same way John Jones poses problems for guys at light heavyweight because of his size. I think McGreary is going to have to keep him at distance, not really go to the ground. I think Phil Davis has his moments in the fight, but I see McGreary getting one of those baptism under fire type moments here and uh, winning a close unanimous decision to keep his uh, title. 
on Saturday night. All right. Let's see how we are on time. We are we're we're just chugging along. We're about to get we, we got about an hour of the show done. Closing in on the final home stretch here. Let's go to UFC Fight Night. Dos Anjos against Ferguson. We have six fights that we are going to break down for you. We will start with Heather Clark against Alexa Grasso, undefeated in the strawweight division. Brag, I like Grasso to win this fight. Good Python, good name. Uh, I'm going to go with Grasso to win by unanimous decision, keep that record undefeated, and maybe crack the top ten on the Ultimate Fight Show. Yeah, I agree with you all the same. I think Grasso gets a UD victory here, and I think we will see her in the top ten next month. Ooh, predictions. All right, um, <laughs> Rashad Mamagamanov, 19-1 against Bernil Darouche. Lightweight fight. These guys are big guys for lightweights, 5'10", 5'9", pretty good records. I'm going to go with uh, Magomedinov um, by uh, knockout in the, in the second round. Greg? Yeah, both of these guys, I don't know a lot about them, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think I'm going to go the other way, though. Uh, I think Derouche, uh gets the job done. I think he gets a submission in the second round. Ooh, submission in two. That's going to be uh, – so someone's going to sleep in the second round, basically what we're trying to yeah. do. Continuing, Martin Bravo, 10-0, undefeated against Claudia – or Claudio Poluis. I believe this is a title fight, but it's because it is a – is this the ultimate fighter, Brazil? Is this their final? Yeah, this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate fighter, Latin America. Um, which okay. I got to be quite honest, I haven't I haven't been keeping up with it much at all. So um, yeah, I, but I'm yeah, that, from, from, what, from everything we've got, uh, Martin Bravo, Bravo, um, and Claudio Pelaros are the uh, finalists. I'm going with Bravo by uh, second round TKO. Keep his undefeated record. Brad, who you got? Uh, I'm going with Bravo also, but I think it's a, a unanimous decision. All right. Charles Oliveira against Ricardo Lamas, a couple ranked fighters at featherweight. Uh, should be a good barn burner, a good little scrap. I like uh, Oliveira to win by submission in the second round. Brag, who you got? Yeah, this should be a good fight. This could be an, end up being fight of the night. Uh, I'm going the other way, though. I, I like Lamas to outlast Oliveira. I think it's going to be a a good fight. I think both guys are going to be in trouble um, with submissions attempts, but I think Lama's close. It could be even split decision, but I'm going with a close UD. All right, close UD. Co-main event, Diego Sanchez, the night here, against Marcin Held. Both fighters lightweight. Uh, Diego's just one of those guys, again, you want to talk about fight of the night. I, I think he's won seven. This is my pick for fight of the night, and I'm going to go with Diego Sanchez, Guy's never been in a boring fight, whether he's getting his ass kicked or kicking ass. I'm going to say Diego kicks ass this time and wins a unanimous decision in a fight of the night against uh, Marcin Hell. Brag, who you got? Yeah, this this should be a really good fight. Uh, as you said, Diego Sanchez always brings the good. Uh, this is Hell's uh, UFC debut. He signed back in August. Uh, former uh, longtime Bellator competitor. Uh, so he's stepping up to the big leagues here. Uh, record of 22 and four. His losses come to came 
against Will Brooks, uh, Dave Jansen, Michael Chandler, and so two uh, guys that are in the top ten. Uh, absolutely. Um, I love Diego Sanchez, but I, I think his time has come. I think uh, uh, Marcin Held uh, wins this. I think he does it by submission. Uh, it could be late second round, early third, but I've got Martin Held winning this fight over Diego Sanchez by submission. Yep. All right, and let's let Bruce Buffer take us in before we get to the main event. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It's time! It is time. Lightweight fight main event. Rafael Dos Anjos ranked number three by the Ultimate Fight Show against Tony Ferguson. Another top 10 ranked fighter by the Ultimate Fight Show. I believe he's number nine. Huge fight. Title implications possibly down the road. Maybe even a fight with Nate Diaz. You never know. Tony Ferguson, 21-3. and three. Dos Anjos, 25-8, the former lightweight champion. Greg, what happens in this one? How do you see it going down? You know, my initial reaction to this fight was to say Dos Anjos uh, rebounds from his fight with Eddie Alvarez. Uh, to win to win this fight, but I, check, check out Tony Ferguson's record here. Um, over his last, since he's won the Ultimate Fighter uh, back in 2011, let's see. He since he was officially in the UFC, he's one, two, three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine. He's nine and one. In the UFC, his one loss came back in 2012 against Michael Johnson. Uh, he's beat Josh Thompson, Edson Barbosa, Lyson Tabo, uh, Abel Trujillo. Um, he's been on quite a roll. Um, I have a hard, I'm gonna have a hard time picking against Tony Ferguson. The guy just keeps impressing me every time out, and I think he pulls off the upset here and gets a uh, decision victory over Rafael Dos Anjos. I think it's going to be a close fight. may even be controversial. Maybe we get a split decision here. But I think Tony Ferguson wins a decision over Rafael Dos Anjos. Yeah, I've never been a huge proponent or fan of RDA. I, I thought I did. We had it on the air. I did pick Eddie Alvarez to beat him uh, which when he was a 4-1 underdog. I would have picked Conor McGregor to beat him. So it's hard for me to, you know, go with him. But then, again, you know, if you look at his resume, he's got, he's got the, uh, you know, the fight against Khabib. He's got the, you know, Cerrone he's beaten three times. I mean, like, easily all three times. He's just one of those dudes that when he shows up and he's prepared, he's got a plethora of ways that he can defeat you. And uh, Ferguson, like you said, man, he's a tough dude. You have to be tough to win the ultimate fighter and then to stay relatively undefeated going, as you said, nine and one or something. I just don't, I, I looked at that list and yeah, there's some good fighters, but all of them were, were journeymen, gatekeepers. The only good name I saw on there was that he had a, a submission win against Edison Barbosa, which is an impressive win. And I think would propelled him to get this fight. I'm going to go the other way. I think, uh, 
I think there's more possibilities of better fight if RDA wins this fight. He sets up, again, a rematch with Nate Diaz. You could have uh, Khabib in there. You could have the winner of Alvarez McGregor. There's just a lot of possibilities. I think Dos Anjos looks good. I'm going to say TKO in the third round. But uh, I think the first two rounds will be very, very competitive. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good fight. I, I think this um, it definitely has title implications moving forward in the lightweight division. Again, Tony Ferguson's been on such a roll. Yeah, he the games aren't quite maybe as impressive as the guys that um, RDA has fought, but, I mean, he's beating these guys, and he's beating these guys soundly. Um, there hasn't been any barn burners there. There haven't been any close decisions there. Tony Ferguson is on a roll, and he continues to prove me wrong, and I'm going to jump on the bandwagon for this fight at least. All right, so there you have it, folks. We got uh, 7.34, still about 30, 35 minutes till the first pitch, and you're up to date. You're caught up. You got, we, I mean, we just did a two-hour show in 90 minutes for you with an interview. So, you know, let's, uh, let's give it up for ourselves, I guess. <laughs> um, they don't call us the right, best Brad. for nothing, right? Exactly, exactly. Um all right, Frank. Let's talk. A, let, let's break down this game seven here. You know, again. Oh yeah. Bragg, Bragg, the Cubs fan here tonight, or at the beginning of the series, I should say, he picked Cubs in five. I said my hometown uh, Cleveland Indians would win in seven. You know, it's it, it's interesting that we're here in a game seven, and like and like uh, LeBron and so many other people have said, the two best words in all sports is game seven. I'm going to take it a step further, Bragg. I think the four best words in sports are game seven, we won. What do you think? Well, it's going to be great when we win, but it's game seven of the World Series. First of all, baseball was my first and truest love. I've always said that. I was a baseball player growing up before anything else, played through high school. It's just a great, I just love baseball. And games, the World Series is always great, but when you get to game seven, winner take all, just the, you know, mono a mono, everybody, all pitchers on deck, everybody's just ready to go. It, it's something special about game seven in the World Series. This, this game is going to be, I think, nothing but it's going to live up to the hype. It gets to any other team except possibly the Braves. I probably would be rooting for the Indians here. I really would. But I, I I picked the Cubs at the beginning of the World Series. I I am a Cubs fan, um, you know, from a distance. And I still think the Cleveland Indians should have had Charlie Sheen throw out a first pitch here um, as Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. I think the curse of the Wild Thing is going to come into play here. You will not win another championship for another 60 years or 70 years. I think the Cubs win a World Series in Game 7. Final score is 6-4 to four, and it's all Charlie Sheen's fault. Wow. Alright. Um, I'm going to be I'm, I, I, again, you said it you know best. It's Game 7. It doesn't get bigger than this. Anyone that's listened to this show for the last four years knows that LC lives for showdowns. It's one of my favorite things. You know, that's probably why I, you know, love boxing and MMA so much and why I used to box is because there's just something about 
when you have to lay everything on the line. And again, in team sports, the only time that this that that ever happens where it's on the same level as boxing or MMA is in game sevens because so it's winner go home. The NFL playoffs same way. Any any playoff system that has a winner go home. Like the March Madness is probably the greatest example where you have to win six games or go home. It's it's come tonight now that the world will focus on a Midwestern town before the election, title town, Cleveland, Ohio, for tonight. Tickets are going tickets that are normally three hundred dollars are selling for ten thousand tonight. Um, everyone's going to be there. It's the, it's the place to be. And I'm going to go back to you know to my roots. Bragg, you know, you started off, you, you said that baseball was your first love. It was never my first love, even though I used to be a pitcher, but the Cleveland Indians, believe it or not, were my first love as far as Cleveland sports. As you know, my dad was always a Chicago Bears and Bulls fan, so I grew up probably from the time of that I was about three years old and knew what sports were. I was a, Bear, a Chicago Bears and a Chicago Bulls fan. So, you know, I had my Super Bowl in 85 with the Bears, with the Monsters of the Midway, and then with the six championships with the Bulls. I, you know, I cried when the Pistons beat us twice. But, you know, Jordan finally got us there the same way that LeBron got us there. You know, I didn't start becoming a Cavs fan until till we got LeBron James in about 2003. So, you know, I'll admit it. That's fine. You know, my Bulls have been done for a while. But that's why this game is so much more important to me is because I've always been an Indians fan. As a matter of fact, before Dick Jacobs owned the Indians, my grandfather used to own 5% of the Cleveland Indians along with several other who then Dick Jacobs consolidated and bought the team in the 70s. So, you know, I remember stories of my dad and when my grandpa owned part of the team going to the Indians game and sitting in the, you know, municipal stadium and, you know, sitting in, you know, where the they had hot dogs and the waiters would serve you. It was, a whole experience. I never got to, you know, experience that because I was young. But I can tell you this, Bragg, uh, as I'm going on with my rambling, that, again, the Indians were my first love. And, you know, it's been 19 years since I've been in this position. I remember I was 17 years old, 1997, game seven against the Florida Marlins. I remember exactly where I was at. I was at this girl named Amy Double's house. Sorry, she's married by now. Haven't seen the girl probably since, but we were there. <laughs> We all, we all stayed home from school, or we were all not going to school the next day, so we were over there having a little party and uh, watching the game. And, you know, as that game went on, Jared, if you remember, Jared Wright, 19 years old for the Indians, went out there and pitched game seven and, and gave us eight scoreless innings. He pitched a gem. Still to this day, I still think one of the top five best clutch performances by a nobody ever in a sporting event. And then – Jose Mesa leads the the league in saves, gets one run out. I mean, they were we you saw, you saw the thirty for thirty about Believe Land. You know, they they wheeled in the World Series trophy before it was over, and everyone was like, "Dude, they jinxed us. Take it back out the champagne." And I'll never forget when Nagy when they gave up that hit and we lost. And you know, it, I waited nineteen years. I told my wife for this exact moment, and Cleveland can erase that memory from me. And, and you know this, Bragg, with your Braves, because you guys beat us in 95 and had those great, that, that great run in the 90s when you guys had the best pitching staff in baseball. You don't get, you don't get super teams like that. And even when you do, 
that doesn't mean you're going to get there. You don't get a lot of opportunities to become a world champion. Am I right? Oh, absolutely correct. It's, you know, you, you've got to embrace that. I, you know, you look back, and like you said, the Atlanta Braves are a perfect example. Won 14 straight division titles starting in 1991. We were, I think we went to six World Series. We won one of them. It was, yeah, no, I mean, it, it was, it's very, you know, you look back and think of so many times. Um, you know, I remember the World Series in 95 beating your Indians. Um, that was a that was a great series. You know, you had you know a young Jim Tomey, you had uh, David was, uh, Albert Bell, um, you know Eddie Murray, um, you you know your kitchen staff, Joel Hershiser was there. It, you know, you know it's such a great great team, and uh, you know you know went back to Atlanta game six. Of course, David Justice, uh, Tom Glavin, you know pitched a one hitter. I mean, he stepped up. He said, "All I need is one run to win this game." David Justice gave him that run. Um, Mark Waller's got the save in the ninth. I mean, just just a fantastic. You, if you would have told me then that the Braves would only win one World Series, they would win 14 division titles, but only win one World Series, I'd have called you a liar. And it, you know, it was. It's one of those things. It is a special, special time, which makes things like you know the the run that New England Patriots have been on the last 10, 12, 15 years makes it so special and so unique. You know, the Yankees went on a bit of a run. Um, you know, the Giants winning three World Series in six years um, every other yeah. year. Just, it, it's, it is a special thing. Um, we may never see, you know, the Indians and the Cubs again. You know, one of these teams are going to break a long, long drought. The Indians have seven years. Of course, the Cubs have been not one in 108 years. Um, it's just a crazy crazy time to be a sports fan. I know Mike and Mike were talking about this this morning, talking about is is this the best year in sports ever? You know, you've had so many unique things happen. You know, so many big stars walking away. You know, Cleveland finally gets their championship. Just just everything that has happened this year and to this point, you're topping it off with Game 7 of the World Series. The two, um, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to say the sorriest teams, but the two of the saddest franchises um, in sports, not just baseball, but in sports, one of them is going to achieve the ultimate accomplishment tonight. Such a historic event, such a historic night for sports and pop culture in itself, too. I mean, like you said, all the stars are going to be there. The Cubs have a Huge celebrity following, you know, from Bill Murray to um, Eddie Vedder. You know, you've got, you know, on the other side, the Indians, of course. You've got Charlie Sheen going to be there. Uh, uh, Drew Carey is going to be there. Just, And then, of course, you've got all the all, all-time greats that are going to be there who play for those teams. Just a fantastic night. It's a fantastic um, event. I'm just being giddy about it all day long. I cannot wait. Game seven, two greatest words in sports. I'm just, man, may the best team win. We're all, but as BS fans, we are really all winners. All right. I mean, you know, I, I asked him if, I, I asked him to elaborate on something and, he, and, and the brag man takes it to a whole other stratosphere. But again, you know, 
back to back to what we were saying about special moments, though. You don't get these moments that often. You know what? what what's the old saying that you know when when a moment presents itself, you got to seize it because you may never get it again. And that's so indicative of sports. And this is a moment. You know, Cleveland's got an opportunity to win two major championships and have the heavyweight champion of the world all in a one calendar year. It would be after not having, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of losers. And, again, you don't want to become like the Bragg said with the Braves, you know. They 14 division titles, six World Series appearances, one ring. Look at the Buffalo Bills. They went to four straight Super Bowls. Never won, never went back. So you got to seize the moment. I, I I know I'm dragging it out. I'm going to give you my pick. Here it is. I played baseball for three or four years. I was an all-star pitcher for two of those years. And the reason I bring that up, is, other than to brag about myself, is for a reason. When it comes down, anybody that's ever played at any level of baseball any championship level, whether it's Little League, high school, college, or tonight, knows that it comes down to pitching. And Corey Kluber is the best pitcher on both of these teams. He's proven it over four games in the series, in all the playoff series. He's given up one run in those games, and he's already beaten the Cubs twice. And that formula has not been broken or figured out yet by any team, and I don't think it happens tonight. Corey Kluber's going to go out there. He's going to give us six. Miller's going to come in and give us two. And then does Allen come in to close it out, or do you leave Miller in so that you can make sure you don't relive the ghost of 19 years ago when you brought in your save closer for the save? I think Francona, he's 12-3 and three lifetime in the World Series. He knows what he needs to do to win here, and the, the Indians get it done in front of their hometown. I'm going to say 3-1, to one, the Cleveland Indians in a tight game, 3-1, to one, the only run being a home run by MVP Chris Bryant for the uh, – I think they'll get one off Kluber tonight because they've seen him for the third time, but – He's doing something really special, and he's a big-time pitcher. He, he's a big-game pitcher like Madison Baumgartner or Clayton Kershaw. He's here to play tonight, and uh, I just I, – I don't think – I think this is our time. Bragg, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with that logic whatsoever. And, you know, I'm picking with my heart. Corey Gluber, like you said, he is the best uh, playoff pitcher um, right now. I mean, he, he is so strong and so tough. The Cubs are seeing for a third time in a matter of a week. Um, it's it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to come down to the bullpen. It's one of those things where you keep going to the well. You keep going to Corey Kluber. You keep going to Andrew Miller. Those guys have been lights out all playoff long for a month. You know, at some point, they're going to bend. They may not break, but they're going to bend. Uh, I just think the Indian staff is going to bend enough for the um, – Cubs to break through. Um, it bothers me that Chapman went went uh, three uh, two what was two and a third innings last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so I mean, you know, you've got of course you've got every pitcher on all hands on deck. 
I now, just, Brag, I wait, feel let, like... let, 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 let me interrupt you for a second. You brought up something I was going to bring up, and maybe we can talk about it here. That's the thing with Chapman. I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, Joe Madden blinked first. I feel like I feel like Francona knows that he has Kluber and Miller, didn't use them. And those runs, I mean, yeah, the Cubs scored nine runs, but they scored nine runs. They really only scored one run, if we really want to be honest. I mean, the, the, the grand slam, you can say whatever, but that was against our B and C pitching staff. They, they faced our, our bare-bottom pitchers last night and got nine runs. And that's the way I'm looking at it, is that I feel like those numbers are inflated. And against Kluber, they, they batted 200 in uh, two games. That's what I'm going with tonight. Well, no, I mean, obviously, you know, the Cubs pitchers, or I'm sorry, the Indians pitchers that the Cubs faced last night weren't the best pitchers on the staff. Um, I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, momentum is such a tough thing to uh, overcome. The Cubs have that right now. The Cubs are swinging a hot bat. Um, you know, one reason I think they he did bring Chapman in, which I agree. I, I think he – I don't think he should have threw Chapman in there. I think he uh, pushed the panic button a little too soon there, um, bringing Chapman in like that. But one thing it did do is it shut down the Indians for the most part. So now they've got really got no momentum offensively going into the ninth game. So a minimum well, such Kip, a Kip huge, huge I, I would say I would argue, I'd argue Kipnis. He hit a home run and drove in a run last night. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's you know for the most part, yeah he he did, um, but I, I'm telling you, I think the Cubs are just getting hot at the right time, just like they did with the Dodgers. Exactly like they did with the Dodgers, they got they were getting shut down. Uh, they got hot, they got their momentum, and they finished off the series. I, I think that's what happens here. That's why I'm thinking it's going to be a, a, a six to four type game. It's not going to be as much as I'd love to have seen Jake Arrieta held out of last night's game, you know, if and pitched, you know, one game winner take all. Can you imagine if it was Arrieta versus Kluber? My God, what a pitching matchup that would be. God, that would have been a matchup. But, all right, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll leave the fans here with three with three little fast facts, and you can comment on these real quick. And then we got to go. We got seven minutes left on the air. But uh, the Indians are three and thirteen in closeout games for a series in their career. The Cubs are the only team worse at one and fifteen. The next fact is that no starting pitcher in this World Series has gone longer than five and a third innings. So will we see somebody go into the sixth inning as a starter? And finally, the the last bit of information, the USA Today, who we, you know, all love. You guys know I read it all the time if you know listen to the show. But they, at the beginning of the series, picked Chicago in six. They, last night, had Chicago winning. Tonight, they said the Cleveland Indians four, the Chicago Cubs three. So they're changing their own national prediction to pick the Indians tonight. Whether or not any of this adds up to anything, we'll see. But I will tell you this. The Cleveland Indians, when having a one nothing lead going into the fifth, are 23-0 and this year. All that is one. Pretty, 
that is pretty damn good. That's a that's a top bullpen. I mean, I, and and I think um, from top to bottom, the the Indians' uh, pitching staff is a little bit stronger, especially with the bullpen, especially with Andrew Miller. And they're well rested. Um, and they're well rested. That's right. That I tell you, man, this is just such a great, great game. I'm just I'm so they excited might be right. about they it. Might, and not and not to forget the, the biggest maybe the biggest factor is the Indians get the bat last. That is uh. That's huge. I mean, uh, I got text messages coming in right now saying doesn't get much bigger than this. Biggest game in the history of Cleveland. Again, and, and I got to agree with that. This is bigger than, than LeBron James going into Golden State and winning against the world champion, just to show you how big, because that was so big. No one had ever done that coming back from 3-1. The Cubs tonight could be the first team to ever come back in the World Series from down 3-1 to win it all. So, there's again, there's a lot of history going to be made tonight. Everything is happening. If you're not watching this game, you don't have a pulse and you're not alive. Bragg, great show. We look forward to uh, talking about this further next week. One of us is going to be right. One of us is going to be wrong. We'll see how it goes. But uh, anything you want to say real quick? No, nah, man, just, just the best. But congratulations on just a great season. And a great run there in Cleveland. I love you guys. Um, always had great admiration for for the land. And uh, hey, best of luck tonight, my friend. Cleveland versus the world. Uh, for the Bragman, <laughs> I'm your host, LC, saying thanks for stopping by for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night. Are you ready? Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.